0: Inside the Gamecocks podcast, here's J.C. Sherbert. Greetings and salutations, all you Gamecock fans. It's J.C. Sherbert here for Inside the Gamecocks Daily on Thursday, January 30th. Boy, this month, January, uh, a lot of my friends say it's the slowest month of the year. I think sometimes it's the slowest month of the year because people make certain New Year's resolutions that they don't intend to keep, and it seems... Uh, you know, like a grind because you're trying to reach that 31-day goal or 29-day goal or whenever you started. And, you know, the February is such a short month. But uh, the end of the month is upon us. Uh, the second signing day is upon us. Uh, basketball season is heating up. Um, and that's what I want to talk about to begin with today. South Carolina uh, good call there from my friend Mike Morgan. When Mike Morgan does Gamecock games on Wednesdays, it seems like good things happen, or Tuesdays. Uh, I think the Kentucky game was on a Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, maybe a Wednesday. But midweek games with Mike Call and the Gamecocks have won their two biggest games of the conference season over Kentucky. And then last night at Arkansas, Carolina leads wire to wire. And I tell you... One of the things I'm starting to notice in a positive way about this team, and we'll talk about the free throw shooting and officiating and all that here in a little bit, is that they are able when they have certain guys step up, certain young players. Think back to Kentucky in that win, you know, the game T.J. Moss had. You know, Jermaine Cousinard obviously had a breakout ball game in that one. But when, when some of their stars, you know, maybe don't our scorers, maybe aren't filling it up uh, getting foul trouble or whatever. And, and last night, you know, Justin Mania has been playing really well. Uh, Jermaine Cousinard has been playing well. Those guys did not have their best games. Uh, and then you have a great performance from freshman point guard, Trey Hannibal, who played almost the whole second half, uh, especially was effective on defense, uh, guarding some of those Arkansas skill guys, especially, uh, more at the end or Jones, I'm sorry, Mason Jones at the end. Um, and, uh, you know, he stepped up, thought uh, Wildens-Levesque, eight points, five rebounds before he fouled out. The game was a foul fest. Um, you know, guys like that. Jalen McCrary continues to, to play well in spurts for Carolina. And then A.J. Lawson played like A.J. Lawson last night, defensively hitting clutch shots. Um, you know, Jair Bolden comes off the bench, gives him a, a 12-point game, uh, hits some big shots himself. Uh, especially the four-point play, which I thought was a momentum buster. And this team responded. Every time Arkansas made a run, the Gamecocks responded. I thought with the Auburn game, you know, South Carolina, kind of like in this Arkansas game, Carolina was up, I think they were fifteen 15-8 early, and then Auburn goes on a run, and the Gamecocks responded for about the first fourth of the second half, cut it to 48-47, and then Auburn overwhelmed them. And that happens on the road. You know, in in college basketball, especially with teams that can shoot, like Auburn, like Arkansas. I mean, ask Ole Miss. Ole Miss was up 18 on Auburn the other night, and the Tigers come back in their gym uh, in Oxford and beat them 83-82 in overtime. I think it was an overtime game. Uh, So Auburn can heat up in a hurry. I think Auburn's a better basketball team than Arkansas, quite frankly. Uh, They play Kentucky this weekend, so that'll be uh, an interesting ball game down there on the plains with Bruce Pearl versus John Calipari. But, uh, Lo and behold, the Gamecocks, I think, are in a six-way tie. I think it's six, maybe it's five, uh, for fourth place in the league uh, at four and three overall, uh, 12 and eight. I mean, sorry, four and three in the SEC, 12 and eight overall. Uh, And I think one of the things last night is when you have different guys step up and have the ability to come in and step up and you have depth and you have a resilience about you, uh, speaking specifically of this Gamecock team, you know they can win. They can beat anybody. Um, you know those are the ingredients. You know uh, one guy kind of picks up for another if they're not having good games. Um, and we remember last year there were times where Chris Silva maybe would get in foul trouble, and not have a good game, and you know you may get a good game out of Trey Campbell, Hassani Gravett, uh, some of those guys. But you know this year there's more guys and more guys to put in. And Frank Martin talked yesterday after the game about how he's always liked to play a lot of guys, and and he does. And and I think that's a positive thing. You know, I'm on Mike Coatsar, and I'm not sure on the stats here. I'll get the stats up. We'll get to pull the the box score up here for the Gamecocks and Razorbacks last night. You know, um, Coatsar played 29 minutes. He uh, did foul out. But I thought he played his butt off. Uh, nine rebounds uh, to go with ten points, ten and nine. Visibly gassed in the ball game. AJ Lawson played thirty-eight um, and really, uh, really did a good job. You know, like played like the guy that we, we thought he would be uh, this whole year. And certainly, you know, I think the last few games he stepped up. wasn't best night. One for six from the field. Horrendous from three. 0 oh for four. I don't think he hit rim on a couple of them. But, you know, stepped up, hit a free throw there at the end that was clutch. Five points. One, you know, Manaya was quiet, uh, still grabbed, you know, a couple of boards. It, you know, wasn't the rebounding guy they thought. I think, I think Arkansas sort of knew that, uh, you know, Manaya was one of the better rebounders, and Arkansas's always at a disadvantage because they're not a very big team. Uh, Keyshawn Bryant didn't play well, you know, uh, quiet game for Key, 17 points. I mentioned Bolden, you know, and then, you know, Trey Hannibal. Let's talk about this guy. Um, when he was coming out of Hartsville, you know, he's a different type of point guard, bigger, thicker kid, you know, not a great shooter, really good at taking it to the rim, could just blow by people. Uh, I think that's something the that Gamecocks haven't had at point guard in a while. <laughs> uh, is a guy with his quickness, and you're like, wow, I mean, he can accelerate, just a great athlete. You know, 16 minutes, a lot of the second half last night, had great defense at the end, Um, 11 points for him, three boards. uh, Did have one one assist and four turnovers and three for six from the foul line. But Hannibal was a big difference in the resiliency uh, that the Gamecocks played with last night. And, you know, hey, look, Levesque, Hannibal, McCrary, uh, true freshman. T.J. Moss, Cole Cousinard, redshirt freshman. Um, these guys are kind of coming into their own. Now, that doesn't excuse losing to Stetson in Boston U, but, you know, why would I mention that on a day after the Gamecocks got a top 30 road win um, and a win that's a Q1 win, Arkansas. You know, I have some questions about their team, how good they're ultimately going to be. Um, they've lost, I think, three in a row now in the SEC. They go to Alabama soon. But, you know, I, I think Eric Musselman's a good coach. He was kind of a... If you want to hear a coach sort of in a bad mood after a basketball game, uh, go listen to Eric Musselman's post-game press conference. You know, he was uh, just not happy with his team's performance. But he's a heck of a coach, and, you know, I think he can kind of sense that as, un- as shorthanded as the Razorbacks are in terms of size and athleticism and things of that nature, you know, they, they may have been a little bit of fool- fool's gold. You know, and if they're not shooting, uh, and they were not shooting, they were twenty three percent for the first half of the first half. um, You know, they're going to be in some trouble. The Gamecocks didn't shoot it all that well early. I think the score was one to nothing for a long time, uh, but really started to hit. You know, like I said, AJ Lawson really good, really good game. Mike Coatsar is kind of a glue guy uh, for this team. Consistently good with his hustle, his passing. Still misses some layups sometimes. I wish he wouldn't, but, uh, you know, maybe that's part of being, you know, a lefty like he is. I'm not sure. But uh really big win. Now, what does this do? I- I've been talking. What have I been talking about? About, you know, the keys to making the NCAA tournament. Uh, Gamecocks need to be at least five and four in the first half of the SEC. Um, right now, they're four and three with two games to go. So you got Missouri and then add Ole Miss. Now, you know, the Gamecocks, if they play up to their potential – now, look, Missouri, let, me, let me just be clear. Missouri's capable – Missouri's a very good defensive team. Quanzo Martin's a good coach. They have some players. Uh, they did win against Florida earlier this year. They beat Georgia by three the other night. They're capable of coming into Columbia and beating South Carolina if South Carolina does not play, and they don't have people step up if one guy is not playing well. Um, I think after this win, we should have a good crowd. We should see a good crowd uh, in the Colonial Life Arena Saturday night. Remember, or excuse me, Saturday afternoon at 3.30. Remember, they sell beer, so you can go to the Vista uh, for lunch, grab a couple, go to the game, you know, grab a few, get yourself a hot dog, and then go hit Pearls or wherever uh, after the ball game. Uh, so it could be a nice, fun day uh, in Columbia uh, with basketball. Uh, for all you guys and go get rowdy and loud and all that, because that, that's a big win. I mean, it's just as big as Arkansas, because if you go and lose to Missouri or you go and lose to Ole Miss next week, that sort of counteracts it. That's just kind of where the Gamecocks are at right now. Um, and if they can, if they can, if they can go on a streak and go on a winning streak, and right now they've won four of five. The only loss was at Auburn in a game where they competed. You just had an Auburn run that was insurmountable in the second half. Okay? So you got Missouri-Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss is better than people think. Kermit Davis is a great coach. Now, their net ranking is low. They've won, I think, one or two conference games. But it's out there. It's not an easy place to play. You know, South Carolina's going to have to go out there next Wednesday on signing day uh, and get a win. You know, if Jordan Birch signs with the Gamecocks, everybody's happy. They say they beat Missouri. Big opportunity, and they go lay an egg. Not good. I mean, none of them are easy. You know, that. that's the bottom line. But if you can win that and get a 6-3, and three, then look at this. It, it opens up. It's Texas A&M at home. At Georgia, who's better than we think. It's another team kind of like Ole Miss, but they're struggling right now. I don't know what the deal is in Athens, but they're just – it's all gone off the rails. You know, they lost early at home to Kentucky in a very competitive game. Uh, they've got Anthony Edwards, obviously a really good player. Uh, that's a midweek game, but that, and that's never an easy place to play. But, you know, Carolina has to go and play well with that. Okay, so then you got at Georgia, you've got Tennessee coming in. You know, Tennessee lost to Texas A&M at home this week in a surprise Gamecocks only lost by one in Knoxville. That's a big opportunity against Rick Barnes' team. And then if you win those games, you're 9-3, 17-8, 9-3, going to Starkville for a midweek game on the SEC Network with LSU coming in the next week. And those two games will be, you know, really important. I think Mississippi State is probably going to keep winning and play their way into a big ranking. And Gamecocks have them twice. And then LSU right now is leading the league uh, undefeated. Uh, LSU comes to Columbia. So if you can get to 9-4, and 10-3, dare I say, with LSU coming in Saturday, February 22nd for a 6 p.m. game, Gamecock fans are going to be hanging from the rafters in that one. And I think that, you know, that's a game that could potentially move the Gamecocks to the right side of the bubble. You know, follow that up with the last four Georgia at home at Alabama, who's playing really well, uh, although LSU beat them last night. Mississippi State comes back in at home, so chance for some quality wins there too. And then you end the season at Vanderbilt, which uh, was beating Kentucky. I think Kentucky was not interested at all in playing the Commodores last night. Kentucky turns on the Jets, and Vandy's losing streak is now continuing to be of epic proportions. So the net rankings as of right now, when I am recording this podcast, and I'm gonna check for you guys just because you know, yeah, they have not been updated yet. Uh, it's through games of uh, Tuesday, so not not uh, not the Wednesday games yet. Gamecocks were eighty eighth with this win Arkansas's twenty eighth uh, South Carolina has as many road true road wins as any team now i think in in the country um if you kind of look at it uh well, it may be in the power five hold on william and Mary has won eight road games they're in the but they're eight and five uh from the c a a uh so you kind of look at it so if you're just talking power five here you know or or s e c even you know the gamecocks have have a really good road record i mean it's um it's uh it's been very positive, yeah Gamecocks are five and two in true road games this year uh which I think's big because when you calculate the net and all that good stuff, you know road wins give you a plus one four uh problem is home losses give you a minus one four gamecocks have lost four um home games this season, including two they shouldn't have, but you know I, I think that's a uh that's a plus—the ability to win on the road. Now, every year the committee emphasizes different things, but it's helpful to have Q one wins, Q two wins, and it's helpful to be able to win on the road. South Carolina's won at Virginia, they've won at Arkansas, and they've won at Clemson. Um, also, won at Texas A uh, and M. And the road wins, I think, are a real plus on the resume. You know, once you get into The nitty gritty provided the Gamecocks win enough to be in the discussion and for it to matter. Andy Kennedy on the broadcast last night had a great point you know, you have to win enough for it to be relevant. You know, last year the Gamecocks had a lot of Q1 and Q2 wins, but it just wasn't relevant because they were a 500 basketball team. Um, So winning games, obviously, no matter who it's against, uh, is very, very important because winning percentage matters. Uh, a whole lot. You know, I think, I think too, when you look at the, the margin of victory quotient, doing things like winning by, you know, Virginia win was by 11. Clemson was by 13. A&M was by 14. You know, those margin of victory things should help, you know, but the Gamecocks also have some some losses that, you know, lost to Florida by 13, Auburn by 13. But, you know, it, it, it all kind of, you know, I guess factors in. And I think this team needs to make the NCAA. This program needs to make a return to the NCAA tournament. You you can't go to a Final Four and then go over over three years because that just kind of takes all the momentum from the Final Four and and drags it out. You know, I think everybody kind of understands. Heck, you go to the Final Four, a bunch of guys leave. PJ Dozier leaves unexpectedly or expectedly, depending on who you talk to. Uh, Felder, who was a point guard, you know that was very promising, he gets suspended. Um, you know, you had to bring in some grad transfers like Frank Booker. Uh, and then you go the next year and you're, you're relying on uh, an improved Hasani Gravit and a, a bunch of freshmen. And then you get hurt and injured last season and miraculously finish 11 and 7 in the league. Uh, you know, this is the year, you know, this team still is young. There's no doubt about it. But uh, this program is not young, if that makes sense. Uh, and in college basketball, you know, First-year players, yeah. you got a bunch of freshmen, freshmen. Maybe it takes them a year of adjustment or whatever. But, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, I mentioned some of the true freshmen that are now coming on, which is good. But, you know, T.J. Moss, Jermaine Kusinar, Justin Manaya they all did not play last year, but they had been on the team, and was a had played as a freshman, true freshman. So, you know, it, it, Jair Bolden is a newcomer, too, that – sat out last year that played at George Washington. So so th- th- there, it's not like these guys are just marching in and ha- aren't used to Frank's practice style and, and all that good stuff, which was the maddening thing, again, about losing to Boston U and Stetson. But I'm going to quit talking about that for today. Uh, I, I think that there is a path for South Carolina to win enough to where those losses do not matter. But it's going to have to be really, really a, a big run, you know, I think, like I said, you get to 6-3, first half of the league. Uh, I think you can go 6-3 and three in the second half. You know, relatively, that's relatively achievable. Okay, so 12-6, and six, I think that puts them on the bubble at 20-11 and 11 overall, depending on the net and depending on who those wins are against. You know, a win over LSU, if they keep rolling, would be big. A win at Mississippi State, if they keep rolling, would be big. A win at Alabama would be big. And if you drop one, you're not supposed to, you know, so be it. But I think that, uh, I mean, depending on, like, the mix and all that, 12 and 6, you're you you're probably on the bubble maybe in a playing game. I, I think 13 and 5 Gamecocks are in the NCAA tournament. I just – I think 13 and 5 overall, I mean, in the conference, 21 and 10 overall. That means seven out of – that means seven and two down the stretch. Uh, that means after a two and three start in league play, the Gamecocks won eleven of thirteen. Um, that means some big wins. I just think that, that that number of thirteen would be good, and that would also, I believe, be the uh, second best conference win total in school history. Uh, of course, Eddie Fogler's 96-97 ninety six ninety seventeen was fifteen and one, uh, beat Kentucky twice, and certainly we all remember that year as an SEC championship year. But thirteen and five. I think Gamecocks are probably looking pretty good in terms of the NCAA tournament and all that. All right, so the Jordan Birch thing keeps going on, and I want to want to share something with you guys. Uh, You know, just talking to some people, I I, I would I would say this. And look, I I, never say never in recruiting. Um, I understand the angst and consternation. About it, it's been a tough year in football. Um, there's always skepticism uh, when you come off of a season like that. Always skepticism when you're dealing with a highly touted prospect, and you know, quite frankly, there, there's skepticism from the national media about it. Um, and you know, that's par for the course. You know, that that's kind of when I talked all year about. That made this job that much harder. Going four and eight, that's what I meant. Because, you know, people are looking at it and they're like four and eight in year four. You know, twenty six and twenty five overall. You know, they they looked like garbage on offense a lot of the year. Yet again, you know, Will Muschamp's teams, you know, Florida to South Carolina uh, have. You know, struggling on offense at times. Even 2018, which was his best offense uh, in his career, got shut out in a bowl. And I get the skepticism because that's a surface-level assessment of everything. And, and quite frankly, I'm, I was, I'm skeptical as well. Um, just looking at, you know, what's happened, you know. And, and knowing the headwinds this staff is going to face on the recruiting trail, because the one thing that will torpedo a recruiting class is instability. And even f- when it's false instability, even when it's you know, a what-if scenario, hot seat list, whatever you want to say, um, instability, that can torpedo it. Because all recruiting decisions are based on comfort level, period. That's the bottom line, comfort level. And there are a lot of factors that feed into comfort level. Uh, the number one factor is relationships. And when the relationships that you've built over a two-, three-year period are torpedoed, then your comfort level for a particular school drops significantly. Um, when you even have those relationships, when your school or the school you want to go to is losing, you know, things get a little toxic and tough, your comfort level drops. And, and so that's the bottom line here. Uh, so I understand the skepticism about Jordan Birch. I'm going to point out, though, that South Carolina, you know, yes, they finished second to some highly regarded guys uh, outside of the state. You know, Trevon Walker, who went to Georgia. Maybe they finished second. Maybe they didn't. He had a lot of different things to say. Um, you know, certain players, you know, that they get in on and, and they go the other way. Reggie Grimes, you know, they lost him. But in-state, most of the top, top guys in the state of South Carolina have gone to South Carolina or Clemson. And we know with Jordan Burks, Clemson's out. Clemson told people they dropped him. Or, I'm sorry, I don't want to hang that around the neck of every Clemson staffer, coaching staff member out there, or anybody like that. I'm just going to say certain people who should know claim that Clemson dropped him. So, you know, Xavier Thomas went to Clemson. Darian Kendrick went to Clemson. You know, Josh Belk went to Clemson, then went to South Carolina. Uh, in-state guys, uh, with the exception of Channing Tyndall, who's, you know, who knows how he'll end up being at Georgia. I think when he's played at Georgia, he's played pretty well. You know, the, the Clemson and South Carolina have wanted and pursued heavily, have stayed in-state. For the most part. You know, Jalen Hyatt went to Tennessee, four-star guy, top 125 guy. South Carolina didn't offer him, neither did Clemson. Um, Christian Miller, years back, goes to Alabama. Clemson and South Carolina were off the table. Um, so, So it would be unprecedented, particularly if, you know, given the fact that he's committed already... If Jordan Birch flipped to LSU, this would would not be one of those things that happens all the time, because it doesn't. Um, At least not the last however many years. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, South Carolina, around the time the Spurrier era got here, you know, South Carolina started landing guys from within the state. Um, And, yeah, Georgia will get one. Georgia got A.J. Green. We remember that. Tennessee got Robert Ayers during that time. Um, So one here or there. But John Fulton went to Alabama. But few and far between, you know, Clowney didn't leave. Gilmore didn't leave. Alshon Jeffrey could have left and didn't after he was committed to another out-of-state school. Um, You know, Carlos Dunlap was a guy that left. Could have had him. Um, But you look at it, and it's like, you know, it's not, it's rare. And I think that's a tribute to Clemson and South Carolina both. I think, you know, both schools, when you look back at the 90s, this state was hemorrhaging players, be it Florida State coming in and getting who they wanted or Tennessee coming in and getting who they wanted or Georgia coming in and getting who they wanted. North Carolina got some guys. I forgot about Robert Quinn. You can add Robert Quinn and Sam Montgomery to the leaving list. But, man, that was 10 years ago. South Carolina kids stay at home. They go to South Carolina. They go to Clemson, and I, I think so. so if, if you're looking at that, looking at it from that standpoint, recent history says that the Gamecocks usually get the guys to stay in state. I mean, Birch is one of the top four or five. The Gamecocks got all of them. Clemson, Clemson went after Birch. I don't know who else they offered. I guess they talked to Jakari Caldwell a little bit. But, um, you know, they have other recruits. And so it's basically the Gamecocks are out of state for a lot of these guys. And South Carolina get got most of them in state. Um, and beating some pretty good teams. You know, Alex Huntley had a national-level offer list. Georgia and LSU and everybody else offered him wanted him. Virginia was a, a school that maybe could have emerged for him had he not been set on the Gamecocks. So, you know, you look at Jakari Caldwell, just got back from a visit to Tennessee. Tennessee's the other school in that one. You know, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, everybody else, Alabama with Jordan Burge. You know, North Carolina with Tonka Hemingway. Um, you know, Gamecocks, it's not like, you know, Trey Jones from Abbeville, Miami came in and tried to flip him. So, uh, you know, it's not like, these guys don't have other attractive options, and even if they didn't, I don't know that with a South Carolina kid you can tell. I mean, there's so many guys. I think in the last class that popped up at the end, that ended up at places like Miami and Nebraska and all these other spots. Uh, kind of a gold rush at the end. That, that I, I just you know there was the linebacker from Conway that went to Alabama a couple years ago that just popped up late. So so I don't know that. You can even tell if that's the case. But if you need that reassurance, I mean, these these are quality recruiting battles within the state the Gamecocks are winning. And so I I do think it would be unprecedented. So I would encourage everybody to not read into everything. I know it's tough, and I know on message boards, speculation and and all that's part of what makes it fun. It's it's ultimately entertainment. Um, I think social media is a toxic stew when it comes to recruiting because you have too many people that – decided that they're going to be self-important with it. Um and then I think the kids feed into that sometimes and, and, and think that maybe people's voices out there that don't matter worth at all do matter. Um but I would encourage everybody just to kind of take a deep breath. You know we're checking on the bigspur.com around the clock about Birch and the visit. And all indication. There's never even been a time where people were like, well, I don't know if he's going to show up. Now, look, a lot of people didn't know if he was going to go to LSU this weekend, last weekend or not. And I agree, if he doesn't show up for the visit, it's going to be a bad sign. And the tea leaves will not be pointing towards South Carolina. But he also visited Georgia late, and Georgia thought they were getting him and shocked and all that. You know, LSU's confident again and all that. So... You know they were confident last time. Can't rule anything out, but it's it, it, it's it's not helping the matter if there's constant like, you know, declarative statements about the intention of Jordan Birch and his mom. Because I don't I don't think anything that you say is right. You know, oh he's definitely going to LSU. Why would he go drive down there on his own down? I don't know that that's definitely right. Oh well, you know he's just going and keeping a promise to Ed Orgeron. I don't know that that's definitely right. Oh, he's definitely going to remain a game character. I don't know that that's definitely right. And all that feeds into this cycle of crap, you know, that, that ends up uh, muddying the water, so to speak, and, and it, it applies a certain amount of pressure, especially to a local kid and his family. Um, not saying don't discuss it, not saying don't speculate, I'm just saying maybe watch how you do it. Say in my opinion, this is what's happening, or in my opinion, that's what's happening, because I think that sometimes when when we say declaratively, you know, I you know, he's going to LSU, you know, because you're upset with Must you're down in the dumps, and I understand all that. Um, when we say that declaratively. Well, then it's not what you said; it's the the 15 other people that respond to a post or a tweet. Some of whom are clowns, some of whom may be fans of other schools trying to stir the pot that just bash the kid. You know, "Oh yeah, I knew his character was bad, good riddance, or, you know, how could he do this to us?" And you know, well, you're, you're basically getting upset about something that hasn't happened and that, that may not. In fact, I'd say there's probably a high percentage it won't. Um, and he's a kid. He's a kid. And so that, that, that's just kind of my thought. Just talking to somebody kind of close to the situation last night, you know, they brought that up. And I'm not, I'm not one of these Bash Gamecock fans. I'm not sitting here bashing you. I'm not sitting here saying, you know, don't talk about it. And I'm not sitting here and saying let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya and click our heels together like the Wizard of Oz and just pray that Jordan Birch comes and just be positive. Just be positive, people, and everything will be fine. I'm not saying that. It's not me. For those of you that know, it's just I try to tell it like it is. I'm just saying, be mindful of how you phrase things. <laughs> just, you know, phrase it in such a way to where it's clearly your opinion, and then don't make any declarative statements about a kid's character um, based on number one, whether or not he pictures school, because that has nothing to do with character. Um number two, though, is you know. Don't do a character analysis on a kid that's committed to you that will probably sign with you. You know, that stuff's poisonous. Now, it happens with every fan base. I'm not saying it's just the Gamecocks, but just, just be careful that's what I'm saying. Just be careful out there with what you say about Birch and, you know, his intent, I guess. That, that's, that's how it's phrased to me. It's like it's surprising to me how everybody wants to talk about the intent. Intent's a big word. You know, legally, politically, whatever intent, you know, I would not be defining Jordan Birch's intent based on the trip to Baton Rouge last week. So anyway, last we checked, he's still coming in. So that's a, uh, that's a good thing. i um, going to talk about the schedule. Brad Crawford from 24 seven sports had a really good article ranking and he's got a lot of good articles ranking the toughest schedules in the country Rank the Gamecocks number one. I disagree. Uh, I didn't think it was that tough this year. I mean, I, I thought top five to ten. Uh, I know when you go through and look at some of the individual teams on the schedule, you go, wow, you know, they got to play like three top five teams. Yeah, you do. And that takes a lot out of you. But I think the schedule is very manageable. I, I think, you know. Now, if they were playing North Carolina and App State this year, Yeah, I'd say it's again tough because I think North Carolina is going to be better next season than a seven and sixteen. They got a lot of people back. They're adding some good recruits. I think they got good coordinators, good coaches. Chapel Hill, uh, you know, right now, and I'm saying right now, the Mac Brown Redux, if you will, looks like a pretty good deal for the for North Carolina. But they don't. They play East Carolina, which Mike Houston's a great coach. They're going to be better. In year two, than they were in year one, but he got him. He has a mess, and they're building. They got to come to Columbia. You, you, you shouldn't lose that game. There's trouble if you lose that game. Coastal Carolina. You got Wofford at the end of the year, and uh, I think that Wofford is a very good team. They've scared the bejesus out of the Gamecocks a few times. It's tough because it's in a brutal November when Georgia, LSU, and Clemson are on the schedule, but. LSU loses quite a bit next year, and we'll wait and see where they're picked in the SEC West. Um, new coordinators, new players, new quarterback. Uh, I still think they're going to be good, and I'm looking forward to the trip to New Orleans and Baton Rouge, so shout out to uh, my buddy down there that's putting together a soiree. Uh, so I'm, I'm already like looking at flights for that trip, so I'll be down in Cajun country. But they're not going to be as dominant as they were this year. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Will they still be good? Yeah. They got Bama in Baton Rouge this year. Um, how good will Bama be? Can they get back on top? You know, Auburn's there. And then there's a window for Texas A&M. So within their own division, you know, they're going to, it's going to be a struggle to repeat, much less as a national champion. Now, Baton Rouge is a tough place to play. Gamecocks have won there once. That was when that program in L- LSU was sort of in the wilderness. Brad Scott's first year, shout-out to Blake Williamson, who made a big play in that game, Steve Tannehill, 18-17 to 17 by one point. Other than that, uh, I believe that, um, you know, uh, the Gamecocks have not been very successful there. Uh, and, of course, the heartbreaker of all heartbreakers, I think, was the 2012 game, and I was at that one, too. Uh, twenty three, twenty one. That was not a great LSU team. They had a great game plan, and and they jump up and bit a Gamecock team that was kind of in uncharted waters as the number three team in the country that night. I thought the Gamecocks had some good plays in that one, but it just offensively there was a long streak where the Gamecocks got a little pass happy because that you know Marcus Lattimore had a wonderful one yard touchdown run in that one, but he wasn't running through them. Um. You know, and it's a tough place to play. Back in 07, I thought the Gamecocks played well. Lost 28-16 to that team that won the national championship. Uh, And then, of course, the flood game, uh, which was supposed to be at Williams-Brice, but it wasn't. LSU won 45-24. Rashad Fenton, big kickoff return in that one. But, uh, look, it's tough. And it's always tough when you go to LSU. Uh, I I think you'd rather go to Ole Miss or Arkansas or Mississippi State or even Texas A&M than LSU. But – you know, let let's not say that LSU is going to be a preseason top three team. Uh, you know, Georgia comes to Williams Bryce. Carolina beat Georgia last year. You know, it'll be a big game and it'll be in November. I can't remember the last time a Carolina Georgia game in Columbia was that late in the season. And then you gotta go up to Clemson. And and then of course there's at Florida and then all that. I, I think too that when and at Kentucky, you gotta mention Kentucky. Uh I think too though that when, when the schedule flips like this and you've got Kentucky, Vandy, Florida, and then the West on the road, depending on who you have in the West. Now this year it's LSU, so it's tough. Um when you're going on the road. Uh and this is in this would be an even number of years. But most years, you know, if you're at Arkansas or Ole Miss or Mississippi State, you know, or or if I guess Auburn's down, which Gamecocks never seem to catch Auburn when they're down. Um, And then your home games are your your teams that usually contend uh, for the East besides Florida. Georgia comes to Columbia. Tennessee comes to Columbia. Missouri comes to Columbia. And then Texas A&M, you're rotating when comes to Columbia. That's a heck of a home conference schedule. You know, Georgia, Tennessee, Missouri, Texas A&M. All of the, you know, three of those four teams, and I never thought I'd say this, except for Georgia beat the Gamecocks last year. So when the schedule flips like that, I think it's a little easier um, historically. Now, with Clemson's rise, you know, I don't know. Carolina a lot of times plays better at Death Valley than they do at williams Bryce against those guys. So I always think at Clemson, yes, it'll be tough, but it's, you know, it's, it's a rivalry game and – um I think it matters now more that they're what they are than than maybe back in the day. Remember they went – I think everybody went like six years winning on each other's home field (laughs) from like 92 to 96. Why was that four years? No, yeah, Gamecocks won in 92, 94, 96 up at Clemson. And then Clemson won 93, 95, 97 at Carolina. And then that ended in 98 with – what I call the 3-17 and 17 bowl Because Clemson was 2-8 and eight, Game crosser were 1-9, Clemson 1 up there And everybody said Sayonara to the Brad Scott era Who knew that he would be on the other sidelines the following season But You know, so, so that's kind of how I look at it So No, I don't think it's the toughest schedule in the country Now, in fairness to Brad I will You know, and, and this is not about Brad This is about, you know Is South Carolina's schedule the toughest in the country I'd have to look at some other ones and just see. You know, this past year, I thought Texas AM schedule was much more, if you're just talking about top teams, much more brutal, even though they played some, you know, they played three, you know, give me's out of conference, but then they also went to Clemson. And they played at Georgia. And they played Alabama at home. And they went to Baton Rouge. I mean, you know, they had, you know, Carolina at least had Bama and Clemson at home. You know, so I, I don't know. You know I, I just I, I think that the schedule's tough every year I think that when it rotates I think even number of years historically are easier than odd number of years um, but we'll just have to see we'll have to see you know sort of what happens because when it when it's in the odd number of years you go to Missouri to Tennessee to Texas A&M right off the bat and then to Georgia. So Georgia, Tennessee, Missouri, and A&M are your four conference road games in odd number of years. And that's Sanford Stadium, Kyle Field, Neyland Stadium, and then Missouri, which is halfway across the country. So we'll see what happens. Um, and I want to just talk about that a little bit, about the schedule. We're going to preview a bunch of football here in the coming months and continue to talk basketball. We're going to get in a little baseball at some point. Uh, But anyway, this is J.C. Sherbert. I appreciate you guys listening today here on a Thursday episode of ITG Daily inside the Gamecocks. Keep subscribing. Keep listening. I appreciate every one of you, and we'll holla at you soon, as always.